0: Well, I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, a day off, food. That's a good start right there, right? Um, Well, I hope you had something that you were thankful for. I hope you took some time to give thanks to the giver of all good gifts. I know that I got to do that. And one thing that I was especially thankful for this year was my dad. Um, Sticking with our family theme here. Uh, We got parents committing to training their children in the way that God commands, well, that's what my dad did. I am a product of that kind of parenting. And more than what school I went to growing up, more than the fact that I went to a Bible college, more than the fact that uh, taking classes in a seminary, the thing that trained me to live life and to do ministry more than anything else was growing up at my house. It was my dad and my mom. And here's something that my dad did that I haven't heard of many other dads doing, unfortunately, is every single day we read the Bible at the Blakey house. Now, I say that to people like we had Bible time at our house every single day. And they look at me like, how can these things be? Like, how, like that must have been so weird, like to have Bible time at your house. Hey, growing up, I didn't know there was any other way that a family could be. See, it wasn't weird for me. That was just standard operating procedure at Casa de Blakey. That's just how how it went. There was going to come a time every single night where the television was going to get turned off. This is radical now. People were going to come outside of their individual rooms, and we were going to gather together, and the book was going to be opened, and it was going to be read aloud, and we were going to talk about it. Now, when I was younger, the book had pictures in it, and I would pay attention to all these cool pictures, and then later, Everybody brought their own Bible, and we would all open it, and we would read the Bible together, and we would pray as a family. And So I'm thankful that my dad did that, and my dad is actually here with us this morning. He's sitting right over here, so I would like to publicly honor him. If you could just clap for my dad. he's, he's the re- Part of the reason we're here today is that guy right there, the bishop himself, Bruce Blakey, and you'll see why I'm talking about this. When you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 with me, because it's going to make an analogy here in our text for today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 to 12, and it's going to say that when we're doing ministry at church, we're supposed to do it like a dad with his kids, okay, so we're trying to learn from the example of the Thessalonians, We're learning how to do ministry from the example of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, the guys who started this church, the guys who are writing this letter, and then we're learning from the example of the Thessalonians how we're supposed to be here at church. And so we've been, 12 different times, we've opened up this book, and we've tried to learn from their example, and we found it to be very convicting and very energizing. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? I mean, we've learned a lot from this church, from how it got started and the guys who started it. And then from how the church responded, how the word of the Lord echoed out, resounded out from these people. And today we're going to see more from Paul, how he thought about ministry when he came to love and to teach these people. Look at verses 10 to 12 of First Thessalonians chapter 2. It says, You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So now Paul here is reminding them, hey, you are witnesses. You saw how I lived And he compares himself here to a father with his children. I was an example to you guys, just like a dad would be an example to his kids. And like a dad, I exhorted you, I encouraged you. So it says in verse 11, if you look at it there with me, it says, for you know how, like a father with his children. And then it says in verse 10, you are witnesses. So he's referring to things that they had already seen. He's saying, you saw how I lived. You're witnesses to my life. And another thing that I would expect you already know is you know how a dad is supposed to be with his kids. Now, we've got a big problem trying to preach this passage here this morning in this room of people because we're starting with two assumptions that I can't assume. I can't assume that you have had a Paul in your life. I can't assume that anyone has come along to disciple you, to teach you in a personal way, spiritually. I can't assume that. I'm trying to do that here at this church. And I've been going up to people and I've been saying, hey, why don't you and I get together, let's talk. Hey, we got to plug you into a small group. And people are telling me things like, wow, no pastor has ever like, sat down with me and talked with me before. I've never really been plugged in to a small group ever before in my life. We got a lot of people here at this church. If we were to get honest, okay, you have never really had someone like as an older man or woman in your life leading you spiritually. You don't have that example to look up to. That's going to make it hard to preach a sermon that's all about following a good example if you've never had one, okay? So this is a challenge. Then I'm supposed to appeal to you, well, you know how a dad should be. Well, can we can that's something we can't say in america anymore right i mean you can decide whether your dad did what the bible says a dad should do or not the bible says the way we're talking about it here at our church is dad is supposed to be the bible teacher of the home that's how the bible defines dad like he's the one who brings his children up in the discipline and the instruction of the lord okay? Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. If you want to write down the ultimate dad passage, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, where it says that dad is basically, as he's going about his day, when we're waking up, when we're going to bed, as we're going out from the house, as we're coming back in, what is dad doing? He's teaching his children the word of the Lord because it's on his heart. That's who dad's supposed to be. So I'm going to say here to you guys today, well, you know how, like a father with his kids. Well. How many of you grew up with a Bible teacher at your house? See, I can't assume anything here today. But Thessalonians, man, to have Paul as a spiritual father figure, maybe some of them came from good families, I, I don't know. But to have examples, do you realize the power of example in somebody's life? Do you realize that you can go and get education all that you want, but there is nothing in a classroom that can happen that's as powerful as what happens at home. Example is the most important influence, I think, in somebody's life. We can say it all we want. That's what we're doing this morning. We're speaking it, but when you can show it in the way that you live, that's so important. Every Christian is supposed to be an example of a saved person of a new life we're all a type of christ that's the idea of christian we're all little christ we're supposed to show to our family to our brothers and sisters here at church to our neighbors and co-workers and people who don't believe in jesus christ we are supposed to be examples to everybody of what it means to be a christian I mean, you've heard it said maybe before that the best Bible, the only Bible that some people will ever read is who? It's the example. They're not going to open the book and see what it says. They're going to evaluate your life and decide if they want in or not. And that's what he ultimately gets to. His goal in being the spiritual father and using the analogy of a physical father, his goal is clearly stated in verse 12. Here's what he wanted. He exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. Here was the end goal of all of this example. To walk in a manner worthy of God. Here's what he wants. Christian people who live out the life of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not just people who profess their faith in Jesus, but people who practice their faith in Jesus. That's what he wants. People who don't just talk it they walk it. Let's get this down for point number one. Don't just profess your faith, practice it. That's our first point that we got to start with. Don't just profess your faith, practice it. Your walk is a classic way that the Bible refers to your lifestyle, the way that you conduct yourself. And it says that the goal of Paul's instruction, and this was a major theme for Paul, his goal when he looked at people, he wanted them to get saved. But as saved people, what he wanted Christians to do was walk worthy. This is one of the key phrases that Paul is going to use in his writing. Hey, it's great that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ. You see what Jesus did by dying for your sin and rising again. It's great that you associate yourself with that. Do you live that way? Could other people see Jesus Christ in your life? Do you walk worthy? Jesus set the standard are you now living that out? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just look at a few pages to the left. We're going to look at three of Paul's letters here. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And you'll see this idea of walking worthy that we see in our text. He, he talks about this almost in every letter. It's a, it's a major theme. And he says it here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is a key turning point in the book of Ephesians. He's been giving them theology, truths about God in the first three chapters. Now he's moving to practice how they're supposed to apply uh, what they've learned about God. And here's the turning point in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, he's writing this from jail, urge you, beg you, plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you've been called to be a Christian... If you've been given the greatest gift that could ever be received that we're going to celebrate this entire season, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of eternal life, if you have that, then walk in a manner worthy of that calling. How do you make Jesus look to the people around you? Is it a worthy representation of the glory of Jesus Christ? If people can't see Jesus... They can't go to the, the manger. They can't go to the cross. But you're saying you've been there. You believe that he was God, became man. You believe he died for your sin. Can they see Jesus? Is your life a worthy representation of the calling of Jesus Christ? If someone never read the Bible, never came to church, but they saw you, would they end up loving Jesus Christ? That's the idea here. Go to the next book, Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Let's hear the sound of Bible pages turning here. Uh, at Compass Bible Church this morning. And look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I would say this is the thesis statement of this letter. And here he says, only, here, if we could boil it down to this, only let your manner of life, your walk, the way you conduct yourself, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. Here's what I want to hear about you. Here's the example I want you to be setting. That you are standing firm. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Hey, only if I could summarize what I'm telling you guys down to one thing. Walk worthy. Conduct your manner of life in a way that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that even if I'm not with you, your reputation, what people are saying about you is, they're living for Jesus. They celebrate Christmas all year long. Man, that guy, he's a Jesus freak. Is that what people would say about your life? Let's just make it real personal. Is that what your kids would say about your life? Is that what your neighbors would say about your life? Is that what the people who work at the place you work would say about you? Does your landlord get that vibe from you? Does the lady who lives down the street that always walks her dog, that does its business on your lawn, does she get that impression from you? As you forgive her many, many times, right? I mean, people should be like, oh, man, something different about so-and-so, and they should be able to tell you what the difference is, not like you're just a positive person. No, that you follow Jesus. You're worthy of being called a Christian. I see a lot of Christians today, and I wonder if Jesus really wants to be associated with them. Because they look a lot like Satan's kids. They look a lot like the rest of the world. And I wonder if they're really making their dad proud in how they're representing the family name. See, we got, Are we walking worthy? That's a big thing. Every person, you call yourself a Christian, great. Are you walking in a worthy manner of that title, of the name of Jesus Christ? I hope you have a high view of Jesus Christ. And your life should reflect that. Look at Colossians. You'll just see it here again. Just so I can prove to you, I'm not going off on some random idea of some higher calling of this walking worthy. No, everyone who's been called to be a Christian is called to the high standard of walking worthy of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.10 says it like this. So as to walk, he's praying for them. So as to walk in a manner, what's his motto? What's his theme? Walk in a manner what? Worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing, growing in the knowledge of God. And that's just not knowing more Bible facts. That's actually knowing God in a real relationship with him that shows up in your life. See, a lot of people, they love what Jesus did. This is what I see from a lot of Christians that I meet. If we're gonna if we're gonna sing a few more songs about Jesus Christ, man, sign me up because I love what Jesus did. I love the gospel. I have I'm encouraged actually, that there are a people who really seem to appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's a great thing. We should have a high view of the good news of Jesus. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Let's just remind ourselves, or in case we got some family visiting or somebody's new here this morning, let's just look back at the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're really about, proclaiming the the name of Jesus who came to save us. And here in Isaiah, we've referred to this before here at our church. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 We've said, hey, here's a verse that kind of summarizes what happens in the gospel. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. It says, it's from the tone of God himself speaking. And it says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God's inviting you into a conversation. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Here's the offer on the table of the gospel. Here's good news. You've got a crimson stain. Sin has messed you up badly. It has tainted who you are in God's sight. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. God's ready to wipe it all away here today. He's ready to wipe the slate clean. You could walk. We don't see it around here in Huntington Beach, but you could walk out of here as white as snow, right, which is beautifully white, right? Crystal clean That's the idea here. You could come in here to church this morning burdened by your sin, feeling guilty, feeling shame, and you could walk out of here by the end of this service today, and you could have all of your sins completely forgiven because everything that you've done, this crimson stain in God's sight that you are because of your sin, man, Jesus Christ, he already shed his blood, and his blood is the one thing that can wash away your stain and make you white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, but it's already been shed and the offer is on the table. Come in here today dirty and walk out of here today clean. Does that sound like a good deal to anybody? Is that why we're into this thing? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody likes that part. You know what I mean? Oh, that sounds nice. So you're telling me, I mean, Black Friday, people were people were getting serious about Black Friday. Hey, this is a growing phenomenon in our culture it looked like to me it was black thursday this year did you see those commercials when was black friday starting thursday at 6 p.m like according to my calendar that's still thanksgiving but apparently it's black friday you know greatest deal i ever got was the day that all of my sin was placed on jesus christ and i got all of his righteousness that's the best deal i've ever had see And I really like the righteousness of Jesus Christ when it's coming to me as a gift, when I'm getting it for free, and all I'm doing is confessing my sin, and I'm getting 100% forgiven, Woo! sign me up right now, right? Still gets me excited, right? Okay, now it's saying, here's the standard, 100% pure righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, Christian, walk that way. See, that's what it's calling you to. You loved the righteousness when it was getting traded for your sin. That's what we're praising the Lord for forever. Now it's saying, by that blood of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, by his power, walk in righteousness. If you are a Christian person here this morning, you should be able to say, I am living a righteous life. That's what Paul says. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look what he says. You could say, well, how how arrogant, how proud, oh, that holier than thou. Well, yeah, maybe he was holier than than we are here today. But here's a guy who said, and he's writing God-inspired scripture that we're reading now thousands of years later, and here's what he's able to say, and this is not edited out of the holy words of God. This is inspired. You are witnesses. If you had seen Paul. Here's three words you would have used to describe him. And God also. God will testify of this about me. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Okay. If we're going to claim the righteousness of Jesus Christ on salvation. Then what the Bible is saying is. Claim it in the way that you live too my friend. And walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put your sin to death. Turn from it. Say no to it. Get help from brothers and sisters and do everything you possibly can to live a righteous life. That's the way that Jesus would want you to live. Jesus didn't die for your sin so you could keep doing it. Jesus died for your sin so you could be free from it. And that freedom starts right now in your life where you have the power in Jesus Christ to say no to sin and to say yes to doing what is right that was Paul's goal for every Christian person that's why he treated them like a father would love his own children he wanted them not to just believe in the righteousness of Jesus but to live the righteousness of Jesus Christ are you a righteous man here this morning are you a righteous woman here this morning can you say that you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That is the goal for every single person who's a Christian. That's a high standard, is it not? Sorry, I cannot change the standard, okay? If you want me to change the standard, go to a church where they do that, okay? But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and what the Bible says is here's an expectation of you, as a real human being who is tempted and who sometimes struggles and sometimes gives in to sin. But here's a standard God wants to hold you to. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. A standard of righteousness and holiness. Now, I've had the privilege of preaching this message before. And I talked about how I, I, gave, I was speaking to younger people, so I brought out a prop. Okay? So you're just going to have to imagine this prop. But I had, I had a scale. And it was just this little two-part scale. And if you put things on it, it would balance out. But if one thing weighed more than the other one, it was like an elementary school thing, right? And I used it. And I put, like, things that clearly weren't going to balance out, and they didn't work. And then I put two little bottles on there, and they balanced out perfectly. And I flipped one of the bottles around, and it said gospel. And then I flipped the other bottle around, and it said life. And it was like, does your life balance with the gospel? Jesus died for your sin. Does your life show that you no longer live in sin? There was a guy. He's actually teaching our two-year-olds on the other side of this wall right now. He sat there. First time he'd ever been to our church. Didn't even want to be there. Actually hated coming to the church. Specifically, hated youth pastors like me. And he heard that. And you know what he said to himself right in the middle of that sermon? I don't measure up. I don't measure up. I never have measured up to that standard and i never will measure up to that standard and that's because i haven't really experienced the righteousness of jesus christ because if i really did know the righteousness of jesus christ you would be able to see some of that righteousness in my life and you know what happened to him while he was listening to the sermon he asked god to give him that righteousness and he got saved right there his first time at a church he didn't want to be at and man the guy you can't get him out of our church now i mean seriously i mean the guy the guy he's one of the reasons we knew we needed to plant a church up here in north orange county because he would bring people from garden grove down to our church in south county i mean he brought dozens of high schoolers from garden grove to Eliso viejo that's like 50 minutes one way And he would bring them. Why? Because now he had the power of Christ in his life. And he was an example to his entire peer group of someone who experienced the real righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so if you're thinking, well, I can't measure up to that standard of righteousness, let me tell you why, my friend, because you don't have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No one brings their own righteousness to the table. You either accept the gracious gift of God or you don't have righteousness. And the offer on the table is all of your crimson stain, your sin, will be blotted out forever. See? Now, if that's what God's done for me through his son, Jesus, then I want to live a righteous life for him. Can I get an amen from anybody on this? Okay? I want to I want to be one of the Christians. If there's a bunch of people call, professing faith, but only a small percentage of us are actually practicing faith, well, I want to be one of those people. And I want to have a church of those kind of people. And if people are going to say that's not possible, I'm going to look at the Bible and I'm going to say, then why is it telling me to do it every other book? See, Why is that the main theme of Paul's writing if it's not possible? And how can he say he was a pretty messed up sinner himself? How can he call himself a righteous person if it's not possible? See, Don't tell me. It's not possible to live a righteous life because you're insulting the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we won't stand for that here at this church. If you know Jesus Christ, you know how to live for him. You can walk in a manner that is worthy. So I ask you today, are you walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you've got kids at your house, would they be able to say, well, I'll tell you why I'm here someday. It's because of the example of my parents see. you have other people here at this church that know you well enough and see how you live that you could be an example to them someone who is showing them with skin on what the life of Jesus Christ really looks like that's what we need here at this church we need as many Christians as we can Walking worthy, setting this tone of righteousness, being an example so that if you're not a Christian or you're like a struggling Christian and you come in here and you meet these people, man, it raises you to the standard of the scriptures. That's what we need here at this church. You can be a valuable part of this church if you are walking worthy of the gospel. Now we're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And that's verse 10. Verse 10 says that Paul is claiming to be righteous. And his goal for all of these people was that they would walk in this worthy way, living out the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That they're not just professing faith, but they are living it out. And as we've seen before, uh, they were living it out here in the Thessalonian church. And we're going to learn more about that. Paul wasn't just a great example as the leader of the church. The church was doing what their spiritual father, Paul, had instructed them to do. Now, he makes this analogy here, which I'm still tripping up on, verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children. Okay, now, I, I struggle with this because when I tell people about my dad, that he read us the Bible every day, I get this look from a lot of people, like they don't understand what I'm talking about. Okay, like that's not the way that they grew up. So I don't think we can just assume at this point, like, hey, we're supposed to be an example like a dad's an example. Well, maybe you didn't have a good dad who was an example to you. Maybe you're thinking to yourself right now, yeah, I love my dad, but I don't want to follow in the way that he conducted himself in this life. I would imagine if we were going to get real, a lot of people would be in that category here this morning and see it's kind of weird because when we talk about salvation and somebody says well my testimony is got I got saved out of sex drugs and rock and roll and then there's this other person over here and it's like well how did you get saved well my parents taught me it when I was really young and I just thought yeah that's what I should do and so I put my faith in Jesus it's like all right mr sex drug and rock and roll you're sharing your testimony at our special event you praise the lord go have a seat right i mean that's how the testimonies work right I mean, that's how it goes, right? Wow, we've got a great BC and a really exciting AD. Wow, look at the change. Everybody can see that. You share in front of everybody. Well, that's nice. See, then we start talking about family, though. See, what do you want when it comes to your family? You want sex, drugs, and rock and roll as your story? See, all of a sudden, I grew up in a house where if I wanted to go outside and play with other kids, my parents told me no. (laughs) If I wanted to go see a movie, my parents told me no. I wanted to go and hang out with this girl, my parents told me no. <laughs> Not a very exciting junior high, but a great life. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. See? As you see we, we, but, but we more relate to the dad who's sitting there in his lazy boy chair saying, son, don't do as I do. Do as I say. Right? We're growing up in the modern generation where dad is playing with the apps on his iPad, complaining why his kids don't spend more time outdoors. I mean, that's, that's how it's going right now, right? We, don't, we have a lot of dads who are not examples to their children. And honestly, they expect their kids to do a lot of things at their house or in their schooling that they never did themselves, and they definitely aren't doing right now. A lot of dads are rocking the double standard, see? And we're calling dads out today. And we're saying, dad, all eyes look to you. The standard in the family does not rise above the bar that dad is at. You're the example, like a father with his children, see. So every man in the room, whether you're a dad right now or not, you can feel that responsibility a little bit on on your shoulders right now. That the eyes in the home, they're going to be looking to you. And you've got to see, am I an example to everybody here? And you already wrote down Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 as defining dad as the Bible teacher of the home. Just look at Ephesians 6, 4. We've already referenced this verse so many times. Let's turn to it. It's just a few pages to the left here. Ephesians 6, 4. Here's dad in a nutshell in one verse. Here's dad's job description. Fathers, it says. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. That's this correcting, addressing wrong behavior and instruction. That's this positive reinforcement, scriptural knowledge, instruction of the Lord. So here's the command. Here's what dads are supposed to do. I hear dads say stuff like, well, hey, who do you think's putting food on the table around here? Dads today they act like, well, I'm one of the good dads because I didn't bail on you and I'm providing for you. So what do you want from me now? You know, like dad's job is to put food on the table. We just read a verse addressing dad's and did it talk about putting food on the table? No, it did not. Now, that's an important part of dad's job. I will agree with that. But that's just the beginning of dad's job. Dad's job is not over when he's pulling into the garage at the end of the workday. Dad's job is just beginning when he's pulling into the garage at the end of the work day. Work, real work, right? I mean, is about to begin when you walk in the door. Now, I'm not dissing at all whatever you do for a living. That's an important thing as a man to be providing for your family. I, I'm, I'm very strongly in support of that. But what I am dissing is this attitude that I'm going to now come home and my family exists to serve me. That is an anti-biblical attitude for a dad. No, you are there, dad, to Discipline and instruct every single kid that God has blessed you with in that house. And here's how a lot of dads do that. Okay, well, if I'm going to do some discipline, dads get all like military drill sergeant all of a sudden, right? Yeah, I like these words, discipline, instruction. We're going to make some rules at my house, right? we got some rules at this house. Let me just, this is this is personal wisdom, okay? I would not encourage you to make more rules as a dad. I just don't see rules really catching on with kids. I don't know. Maybe you're around different kids. But the kids I've experienced, high schoolers, junior hires, my own kids, rules aren't really like what's getting kids excited these days. Have you noticed that? In fact, there's a command here. Dad, do not exasperate your children. Let me tell you what will exasperate your children quicker than anything else. Rules without relationship will always exasperate your children. Always. Always you tell them what to do, and you don't show them that you care, you're going to have exasperated children. And I think that God in his infinite wisdom has given us a great set of rules to live by that I think are somewhat more substantial than clean your room. You know what I mean? So I would just, before you're going to make any more rules at your house, Dad, I would make sure you're sticking with God's rules. I think he's given us enough. So I would just really encourage you, Dad, you start making rules and act like yeah we're going to run this like the military here at my house this is your house this is not a this is not a military boot camp right you need to show these people that you love them and you need to speak to them in this caring tender kind of a way look at the words that it uses here in verse 12 we're in first Thessalonians sorry go back to first Thessalonians with me and let's look at how it describes what dad does, like a father with his children. Now, let me just speak to a bunch of different family situations that we've got, okay? Um, the idea, you could write this down, just a, a quick reference, is Proverbs 22.6. The idea, the principle in the scripture is train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not, what? Anybody know that scripture? He's not going to depart from it, okay? Now, we could share stories where parents have, to some degree, trained up their child in the way that they should go, and yet it seems like their child has very much departed from it. So we're operating from the principle, okay? What we are not offering is some money-back guarantee that if you do everything that you should do as a dad, your kid's going to turn out 100% great. That's not exactly how it works. What we are saying is that if you train up a child in the way that they should go, the pattern of their life following your example is going to be to walk in that way for the rest of their days. Okay? So this is a principle that we're giving. And then also, I got to speak because not everybody here even has a dad. Or maybe we have some women here who like, I want to do this. I want to do discipline and instruction of the Lord at my house, but dad doesn't really seem to want to do that at the house. Well, let me just give you a, a reference: Second uh, Timothy chapter one verse five. If you're a single mom or you're a mom who's trying to do something with your kids that dad doesn't really want to do, well, you can be encouraged. That Timothy, one of the guys that's named as writing our letter of First Thessalonians. We don't know where his dad was, but it would reference his faith. It talks about his grandma's faith, and it talks about his mom's faith, and it says that it came and it got passed down to him, and it mentions no male figure, just his grandma and his mom. So if you're mom and you're trying to set the good example, if there's no dad around or dad's not into it, let me just encourage you, hey, that example can be passed down. Here's what I am saying. If you're giving kids an example, they've got at least a start, okay? They have at least a frame of reference. You've definitely given your child a much better chance of living for Jesus Christ if they've seen it at home before than if they haven't. That's what I am saying. You can, you're never going to go wrong being a good example for your kids, but you're going to have to do more, dads, than just live it out yourself. Look what it says here that a dad does. It says in verse 11, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you to walk in a manner worthy of, Right. Well, It says, look at the words I skipped, exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. So he describes the same thing of dad is now speaking to his kids. We're getting to this actual Bible teaching where dad isn't just living it out himself. Dad is now in some kind of context addressing his kids and he uses three different words exhortation or the word that we often use for encouragement that parakaleo that coming alongside then it says here this this next word that it gives you can see it there in verse 12 this encouraging okay that's really kind of this comfort that would express like a tenderness attached to it like, I really care that you get this. I want you to really track with me. So I'm not just giving you orders from the top. No, I'm really trying to come alongside and I'm really trying to show you that I want you to get this. I'm getting down on your level about this. And then it's a charge. But we're taking this very seriously. In fact, no other standard than God's standard is going to be accepted in this house. We're kind of echoing the words of Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, we're kind of saying, hey, I'm coming alongside of my child, whether it's a little kid, junior high or high schooler. Maybe they're a full-grown adult. Well, I'm ready to partner with you. But let me also make this very clear, kid. It's God's way at our house or it's no way at our house. That's how we're going to roll. See, there's a relationship here. That's what's going on. Dad cares and the child is getting that. I've been rebuked many different times By that man sitting right over there. I've been told what's up on numerous occasions. Too many to count. That we could recite for you here today. But here's one thing. In all of the times that my dad was correcting me. Or instructing me. I never had to wonder if he loved me. And if you're making rules. But there's no relationship. It's going to be very hard for your kids to swallow the pill. Of those rules. When they don't think that you're right there with them. And that requires time. That requires spending one-on-one intimate moments with your child, probably even having fun with your kid. I mean, it doesn't say that directly in the text, but I think it's implied, all right? I mean, where are these conversations happening? In an office, right? Sit down, kid. Sit in that chair. Sit straight. Yeah, just try to get some of our kids to sit straight. You know what I mean? We're going ha- to have to do this in the context of, hey, let's go to McDonald's. Hey, here's a Happy Meal. All right, let's talk about Jesus. I mean, there's going to be some bribery involved. I mean, if you see how, we got this thing at our church here called Bible Bucks. Have any of your kids come back from kids' ministry with Bible Bucks? You know what that is? Bribery. That's what that is. <laughs> that, that, uh, that's dangling a treat. Out in front of their nose. That's what it is. There's going to have to be some fun at your house if there's going to be seriousness about Jesus at your house. Now, there's a lot more I could say about being a physical father. But we have an event on Saturday all about this, man. If you see that in the bulletin, Saturday at 10 o'clock, we're going to go to Kirk Davies' house. And we're going to talk about what it means to be a man. Now, this is for any man, even if you are not fathering kids right now and being a dad, this is for any man, what it means to be a man of the word but then we are going to get into nitty gritty, here's how we do it at my house kind of stuff to give dads practical ideas of how to talk to their kids because that's really what dad does in the Bible. He teaches the Bible to his kids. So he says like a father with his kid, I exhorted, I encouraged, and I, I called out, I charged you, I spoke to you See, we're supposed to have this idea that what dad does is he speaks truth at the home. Now, we're not really talking about the home here. We're actually talking about the church. We're using the home analogy. Now that we've kind of painted that picture in your mind, that's what we're supposed to do here at church. We're supposed to speak the truth to one another like a dad might call out or encourage his own kid. We are men and women, everybody here at church, we speak the truth to one another. That's how you build the church. By speaking the truth in love. Let's get that down for point number two. Ministry means speaking the truth. If we're going to do ministry here at this church, then we're going to speak the truth. I'm going to do it as the pastor in the sermons. The small group leaders are going to do it in the small groups. But every single one of us is going to do this to one another. We are going to have to say like a dad would with his kid, here's what God says in the Bible. Here's how life really works according to Scripture. And we are going to speak truth. Okay, Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let me prove this, that this isn't just Paul. This isn't just the pastor. This isn't just the, the deacons or the small group leaders. This is every single person in the church is supposed to be like a dad with his kids speaking the truth. All of us are called to this. And people, here, since we are just 13 weeks in, And we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this here at this church. A lot of you have very graciously and very generously come up to me, and you have expressed, hey, when you figure out what I can do around here, here's who I am, here's what I'm good at, here's what I'm about. When you know where you want to to put me in the game, they kind of have given me this, like, hey, coach, when you're ready to put me in, I'm here for you. Hey, I really appreciate that. we got a lot of people who have shown up. we got people setting up tearing down we got people doing kids ministry right now it's encouraging how people at this church want to serve but let me tell you right now what we need you to do okay now if you've got some specific gifts in a specific area we'll try to find a way for you to serve if you're really good at setting up we can get you doing that but what i need everybody at this church to do if you want to be a part of this church and you want to serve jesus here here's what i need you to do what it says in ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. It's talking about how to build up the body of Christ. And it says, rather, speaking the truth. And how do you do it? In love, in relationships, showing you care. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body, that's all of us, joined and held together by the pastor. Is that what it says right there? Joined and held together by every joint, all of us with which it is equipped, when each part, each person is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How do you build a church? By speaking the truth to one another in personal relationships. That's how we're going to build this church. I can't speak enough truth to build this church by myself. Even the small group leaders that we've got, me and them are not enough. We need all hands on deck. We need every part of the body of Christ coming together and saying, I know some truth that I can speak to other people here at this church. Now, that means you got to know something to say. That means, first of all, you got to be a Christian, and then you got to have something about your relationship with Jesus Christ that you could pass on to other people. Now, if you feel like, well, I'm not, I'm not equipped to do that, well, we've got some things that you can do right away today, okay? I mean, one is I hope you're going to a home fellowship group because that's a place where we gather together to speak truth to one another and to develop relationships that show that we care about each other. That's one way you could do this right away. Just by going to a home fellowship group and participating in the conversation, that's a first step towards doing this right there. Another thing we've got is partners. Who's ever heard of partners before here at this church? Yeah, okay, That's our one-on-one discipleship program. So the way it works is we've got kind of the basics of Christianity. Here's what you're going to need to know to walk worthy of the gospel. First, you've got to know the gospel. Here's how you have a relationship with God. Here's how church works. Here's how evangelism out in the world works. Okay, you got that. Then we, when you graduate from partners, when you go through this program, which is a relationship is really what it is. Somebody speaking the truth to you through relationship. Then you're going to take somebody else through partners. So if you've been through, if you raised your hand, we need you to find somebody at this church and take them through. And pass on what you know to somebody else. If you haven't been through it, this would be a great time to get, get on it. Pick up a book at our bookstore right here in this hall. Come talk to me. I will pair you with somebody, a partner, where you can get this process started. We need as many people as possible ready to speak the truth in love. Because when you're hanging out one-on-one with somebody, and they tell you what's really going on in their marriage, they tell you what's really going on with their kids, They tell you how their own personal time with God and the word and prayer is going. You don't want to say, well, you should go talk to the pastor about this. You don't want to say, well, you should go talk to a small group leader. When they're talking about real life, the the basics of the Christian life, you know what you want to say? Well, here's the truth that I've learned from the Bible about that. That's how the church gets built. That's how it grows. When we're hanging out with each other and the real issues of life come up and you give a brother the truth that they need, you say to a sister, sometimes you might even have to get them to know them really well, and then you might have to rebuke them. I mean, I've had friends like that. I've rolled over to a friend's house. I've known some people. You go over to their house, and they've got some kids at that house, and it looks like the kids are running that house. You ever been to that house before? It's like, we're just here to have dinner, and we just had a food fight. You know what I mean? And it doesn't seem like dad is going to do anything about it. Now, when I'm saying, hey, dad, limit the rules, I'm not saying anarchy. All right? I- I'm not advocating socialism. All right? You're the leader. Okay? Let- let's do something here. And I'm seeing kids are out of control. Dad's not doing anything about it. If I care about dad as a one brother to another, am I going to pull dad aside and say, hey, man, thanks for having us over? That food was delicious. Your kids are out of control. I I, I talked about, you know, that was constructive, right? Say something positive before you slam somebody. Whenever you get that email, right, I really love the church, but, oh, hang on, seatbelt time. Here we go, right? That's how it works. See, but I, I have to have a relationship with that guy to be able to say that to him. I say that to him. He doesn't think I care. He doesn't think we have some kind of bond between us. Is he going to receive that very well? No, he's not. See, that's why it's so important that we're getting to know each other. It can't just be faces we smile at on Sundays. We've got to be in groups. we got to get to know each other. We've got to go over to each other's houses. We've got to find out what real life is in so-and-so's life because then I can look at your life and I can know what the scripture says and I can say to you, hey, what you're doing, it's not worthy. It's not what the Bible says. Let me come alongside of you. Let me show that I care. Let's do this together. That's how you build the church. And I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to do that with each and every person here. I can't do that with every person here. If we want to see more people follow Jesus Christ at Compass Bible Church in Huntington Beach, then we need more truth speakers. It's that straightforward. More people involved in relationship who will speak out. Eventually, it would be a goal. I would say for you to have a home fellowship group at your house maybe that you are leading. Now, that might be a far distant goal for you right now, but that would be, wouldn't that be great if you could have a team of people where you're saying, hey, we heard from the word of the Lord, let's talk about how we're going to live this out, and you could start that conversation and encourage a group of people to do that. That would be a great goal for every person here. To eventually have a group like that at your house where you're encouraging other people to live out what God says. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. If there's a great passage about how we're supposed to speak to one another in the church, it's Hebrews chapter 10. And this father idea, right? I mean, Paul definitely did this. Like, especially with the Corinthians. I don't know if you've ever read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, First and second Corinthians, they're two long letters because this church had a massive amount of problems, okay? The Corinthian church is like the opposite of the Thessalonian church. Like the Thessalonian church is a positive example that's challenging us. The Corinthians is like an example of like church gone bad, you know? And so he writes a lot of stuff, and he has to rebuke some like flat-out major sin going on. Like you could write down 1 Corinthians 5, he has, to, he has to go off on someone specifically in the church who is involved in sexual immorality. He puts that in a letter to be read in front of the entire church. Would that be an awkward Sunday? If I called out somebody here for sexual immorality, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 13, if you want to write that down. He says, you guys are getting in there with the wrong crowd. You guys are becoming, like, you're becoming yoked is the analogy he uses. You're becoming, like, side-by-side people with non-Christians, with people who are of the world. You're becoming worldly, he says. your best friends. The people you're surrounding yourself with, they're not running for Jesus Christ. You're becoming like the world. You've got to separate yourself from the world. A harsh rebuke saying you're going to have to end some relationships. You're going to have to stop doing business with some people. Okay? Now, before he gives either one of these harsh rebukes in those letters, guess what he brings up right before he gives either one of those harsh rebukes? I'm your dad. That's what he says. Both times, before he's ready to go on to rebuke, he says, Hey, who's your spiritual father? Who loves you? Who cares for you? Do we have a relationship? Okay, now, I want to talk about so-and-so's sexual immorality. Hey, my heart is so wide open for you. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. My heart is so wide open for you. Is yours open to me? Do we love each other? Do we have this relationship? Okay, separate yourselves from the people of this world. Before he gives a rebuke, what does he do? He shows that he cares. Dad, let that be a strategy for you. You having trouble with one of your kids? I'd take him out for a fun time before I slammed him with the rebuke. That's just a little word. I'd make sure they know that you care before you go there. Okay? And that's what I'm saying. Right now, just showing up, getting to know people, going out to lunch with somebody, that's establishing a platform for you to speak truth into their life later on. You can't speak truth to somebody you don't know. Some of the the guys here, they were like, hey, let's go shooting of guns. Now, some of you guys are are frequent, uh, you you know, proud citizens of the Second Amendment of these United States, right? Uh, You exercise your right to bear arms all the time. That's not something my dad taught me. We didn't have guns at my house. I've never shot a gun until like a week ago Thursday. It was the first time I ever shot a gun, and, and I shot a uh, Clint Eastwood Magnum, and I shot a pretty close to the bullseye, but that's not the point of where I'm going, okay? <laughs> the point of where I'm going is that when my brothers here say, let's go shoot some guns because we've got guns and we've got ammo and we like to shoot stuff, what do I say? I'm a city slicker. Is that what I say? I'm one of those sensitive Orange County types. Is that what I say? I say, you're my bro. Guess what we're doing? We're shooting guns, right? Who's ending up having more fun than anybody else? This guy. <laughs> not saying I'm going to buy a gun, but if my bros want to go, I'm going with them. Why? Because I care about these guys. And someday I'm going to have to say something to them that's not going to go down so easy i'm gonna be like hey remember when we shot guns yeah you need to step it up as a dad that's how it's gonna go that's gonna happen so we got to start establishing relationships right now so that we can say that stuff got to establish a platform to speak the truth this is not for pastors this is not for leaders this is for you if you're one of jesus's people and hebrews 10 24 makes it very clear It says, and let us, who's the us? All of us. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Some people, they don't do it. But encouraging one another. This is all of us in the church coming alongside one another. And all the more as you see the day, capital D, the day that Jesus is going to return. Drawing near. All the more as you get into the end times, the last days, there should be even more Christian encouragement going on now than ever in the history of the church because we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Now, people use this verse and they say, see, you guys should all be coming to church. Don't neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some. When I read this passage, it's not talking about going to church on Sunday. It's not talking about sitting face forward And hearing preaching from the word, this passage is talking about sitting in a circle and encouraging one another. This isn't saying go to church. This is saying go to small group. That's what it's saying. This is saying be a part of a group where you have other people that you know well enough that you can consider, think about beforehand how you would get that person to do love and good deeds. So every Thursday night, I go over to so-and-so's house, and we sit there, and I'm meeting this guy, and now I'm supposed to be, well, I'm at my house, not thinking about myself, like a dad's not there to be served, but to serve his family. Now I'm at my house on my time, not watching TV, not hanging out, no, what am I doing? I'm thinking about my brother that's at my group that I'm going to go to on Thursday, and I'm thinking, how do I get that guy fired up for Jesus? How do I get that guy to love his wife more? How do I get that guy to start opening up the Bible at his house? And I'm considering now, someone I barely know at church, how I could stir them up, it says here, to love and good deeds. That's what this is talking about. Being a part of a small group of people where you really know somebody and you now are thinking about somebody else. How do I get them going? I used to love the version of this. When I was growing up, it said, spur one another on. I love that picture, right? Spur one another on. Now, uh, now, my dad, when, when I was a freshman in high school, enjoying the, the Southern California life to the extreme, living in a beach city, starting to become one of the cool kids at school, my dad announced to the family that we were going to move to San Antonio, Texas. Now, if you live here in California, okay, and you want to live in Texas, I personally do not relate to that, okay? I like here. there's a reason it costs more it's worth it that's just my personal (laughs) opinion all right so my dad says to me we are moving to san antonio texas because he's going to be a pastor of a church out there that is like the worst news ever to me and here we go out there and all here's what i know about san antonio by folks who know what salsa should taste like. That's what I know about. (laughs) New York City, remember those old Pace Picante commercials? Anybody? San Antonio. People who, I don't want to have salsa. That's what I'm thinking. I I can't take hot stuff. I'm a gringo from OC, right? So we move out to Texas. And lo and behold, we're not even there that long, and I'm doing my driver's training, and I'm hanging out, and I'm just at normal stores, not even with my family because I'm driving around. We're going to all these places with the driving instructor. And what do we got? Cowboys right there all around us. Hats, belt buckles. I mean, you could eat off that belt buckle if you put it on the table. Boots. And what do they got on the back of their boot announcing their presence to everybody as they saunter on in to get another thing of iced tea and barbecue, right? I got those spurs. Spurs. Now, I'm definitely not a cowboy as I'm trying to set up here, right? But what I understand is that the cowboy is riding his trusty steed, and he wants his steed to giddy on up, to run a little quicker. He gives that steed the spur. That was the original idea of this thing on the end of your boot that's got sharp metal pokers on it, okay? And you let your horse know. You probably have a relationship with your horse. Your horse trusts you, and you let your horse know, we're going fast, and we're going fast now. Now, I've said this in, this illustration before, being from San Antonio. We love our Spurs there. We named our basketball team after them. And I've said this before. And people always want to, well, you don't, really, you don't really just kick the horse. You lightly graze the horse. I'm just like, okay, I get it. That's semantical. We're pushing the horse with a sharp metal poker to say giddy on up. Welcome to church, my friends. Let's get out our sharp metal pokers of love and start jabbing each other. Okay? That's what we are here to do, okay? You give, you give, you find that brother, you get to know that brother, you see where he's at in his life, you consider him, you come up to him, and you give him the swift kick of love. That's what you do. You say, I want to spur you on. I want to stir you up. I want to come alongside of you like a dad would come alongside of his kid, and I want to help you do more good deeds and fall more in love with Jesus Christ that's what church is all about my friends it's us getting to know each other getting to love each other and then when it calls for it saying hey brother hey sister hey friend hey remember when we did this hey you know we go way back all 13 weeks now right well I got to tell you something and you say it because you care and you say it because you want to see them loving Jesus Christ is that the kind of church that we want to be because if that's the kind of church that we want to be that's the kind of Christian you need to be and need to speak the truth to one another like a father does for his own child. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this passage, for these analogies, for the example of both Paul as a Christian who walks worthy of the gospel and the example of a father who teaches the scriptures to his kid, who comes alongside, who has a relationship with them. And God, I pray that that's the way we would be here at this church. God, that we would walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would hold each other to a high standard of holiness and righteousness. God, we're so thankful that you would send the gift of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that we can offer him our sin and get his righteousness in return. We praise you for that. But God, we want to live out that righteousness. And we want to do it here together in this community. We want to get to know each other. We want to express our care for one another. We want to consider how to spur one another on, giving each other that swift kick of encouragement so that we might see people at this church loving Jesus more than they ever have, giving more of themselves than they've ever done for your glory, that the name of Jesus Christ might be lifted higher, that more people could join our team and be encouraged, God. Please do this work. Please do this work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name.